Good morning, church family. I am thankful that we are gathered together this morning to, to worship our King. And I would ask if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Acts 10, I'm sorry, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. And as you look around, you notice uh, in our sanctuary that it's, it's getting close to Christmas time. And because of that, I am sure that you and your families are starting to do some of the things that you, you do this time of year. You know, whether you're, um, you know, decorating your house or, or baking cookies, uh, you know, doing some of the traditional things that you might normally do, like watching specific Christmas movies. My family and I, we have a tradition every year we'll watch, you know, some of our favorite movies. And one of ours is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The Grinch in this movie is that old green thief who is described as having a heart that's two sizes too small. He steals the presents from the town and thinks that Christmas will now be canceled. But what I love in this movie is that though he doesn't think it's possible, his heart is is transformed by seeing the joy of the Who's in Whoville who sing and celebrate Christmas in spite of what he has done. And his heart grows three sizes in one day. And as I think about this passage today, I wonder. I wonder if our expectations about what God wants to do in us and through us, those expectations, I wonder if they're a bit like the Grinch's heart. Two sizes too small. Does our capacity for joy and usefulness, does it feel really low? And impossible to grow. See, what I hope for today is that the healing of this man born lame in Acts 3 and his response will give you great cause for joy and hope as you look to Christ, our Lord. As you you see Jesus, that, that hope and joy would arise in you and then it would grow. I'm gonna read from our passage again. It's Acts chapter 3. Uh, We're in verses 1 through 10, so if you want to go ahead and flip there. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directs his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord this morning, brothers and sisters. See, as we, as we look at this passage and as we think about Christ's kingdom, 
We recognize that the, the fullness of Christ's kingdom is breaking into our fallen world. And the world can't help but be changed. You know, sometimes the, the kingdom at work looks like these ordinary acts of love and service like we saw last week in Acts chapter 2, where the, the believers were gathering together and they were praying and, and, and reading the word together and, and breaking bread, sharing a meal together. Very ordinary and yet very powerful acts of service and devotion. Sometimes the kingdom looks like that. But sometimes the kingdom of Christ is seen to be extraordinary in its working and its power. Like seeing a man who was lame from birth suddenly leaping and walking and praising God. These stories are such a stark contrast to our normal experience that we can't help but be amazed. And as we see God demonstrating his power, you know, sometimes the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up or, or the tears begin to flow as we recognize the significance of what he is doing. You see, the ordinary and the extraordinary miracles that God works in the lives of his followers show that Christ has come to turn the world not upside down, but right side up. He's undoing the defiling and the paralyzing effects of sin in our bodies and in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, and in the world. And these miraculous signs point to the reality of our future hope of, of a day where sin is totally, utterly defeated. These healings are a glimpse through the window of what heaven will be like, but they're not just glimpses of what it's going to be like. No, they are pictures of heaven breaking into our present reality because the kingdom is future, but it's also right now. Christ Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, and we are changed by him. And so, brothers and sisters, maybe you find yourselves in this place where you, your expectation is, is very small or what you think your capacity for joy is a low amount. I want to encourage you that there is great opportunity for growth in both hope and joy and expectation of what the Lord may do. And so let us look to him and see what he might desire to do. This morning, as we are looking through our passage, we're going to see this is our main idea that the lame leaping and the redeemed praising prove Christ Jesus rules and reigns over everything. This miracle, this healing of this man is proof that what Peter and John are saying is true, that Jesus really is the Messiah and that he's raised from the dead and that he is ruling and reigning over everything, including our lives, in such a way that he can bring healing and restoration and hope. So this man leaping and, and us praising prove that he is the risen and reigning king. So as we work through that idea, we're going to see two main ideas in this passage. First is this, that we have joy as Christ works in us, right? We're going to see that uh, a lot through verses one through eight. We have joy as Christ works in us. And we're going to spend the bulk of the time with this idea as we're, as we're talking about this lame man being healed, that there is great joy as Christ is working in us, but not just there. We also see that we have joy as Christ works in others in verses nine and 10. So we're going to discuss both of those ideas. So let me pray and ask the Lord to lead our time as we're continuing in, in looking at this passage. Oh, Father, I pray, please, Lord, move in us. Please help us, Lord. Please encourage us. Please strengthen us. Father, help us to see you and look to you. 
God, I pray that you would explode our capacity for joy and love of you and confidence in what you are doing. Father, please lead us, I pray, to respond in faith this day. Help us to to trust you and cling to you uh, and praise your great name as we see this healing miracle. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you do heal. You do save. You are working as your kingdom is breaking in. We praise your name and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's, so be, let's begin with the first point that we have joy as Christ works in us. And we're going to see that in this example of this man who is looking to Jesus. He's looking to Christ for healing. And so as we go back to our text in verse 1, Luke tells us that Peter and John are on their way to the temple during the ninth hour of the day, which is the hour of, of prayer. And by our reckoning, we would say that's, that's like 3 uh, p.m. in the afternoon, by the way, that we tell time. And the Jews' custom of the day was to pray three times a day. They would pray once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. And Luke tells us that Peter and John are walking to the temple. And as they're doing that, a lame man is brought. And he's, he's set, he's carried and set down at the beautiful gate. And we think that we don't know exactly what the beautiful gate is, but we think it's probably the Nicanor Gate which was this, this gate that was made that had these huge doors and it was made of Corinthian bronze. And the historian Josephus said that its gates were, were more beautiful than even gates made of gold or silver. And so it was probably this gate that he was brought to. And Luke the physician tells us that this man had been born lame. That is, he had a problem with his legs and he, and he couldn't walk and it was a problem that he's had since birth. He was daily brought to this gate as verse two tells us to ask those faithful Jews who would be going into the temple for alms or, or for charity, for help as they would go in. And the devout Jews would give regularly to the poor as an act of worship because they knew of God's care for the needy, of, the, of his care for the orphan and the widow. He knew that it was God's heart to take care of them. And so day after day, this man was brought to the gate to ask for help from those who loved God. But I want, us to, I want us to think about this man for a minute and, and put ourselves in, in his position, to think about it from his perspective. How must it have felt coming to this gate, the same familiar place day after day, something he's done for thousands of days before? In Acts 4, we hear that he's over 40 years old, so every day he's brought to this place for thousands of days. How must he have felt coming for another day? You know, did he have an expectation that today was going to be any different than any other day? And I want to ask that that about you. Like, as you come into the church today to gather for worship, do you have any expectation that that today is actually going to be different for you than than any other day? But I want want us to imagine ourselves in his place for a moment. You know, would would we think that, that it could be different as I come to the gate and sit and ask for help? You know, maybe you've grown so accustomed to to people walking past you that you don't even look at them in the face. They just kind of become a blur as they they go by. You know, do you tire of having to be helped and carried wherever you need to go by your family members? Do you feel guilty for not being able to work and having to depend upon the generosity of others in this way? And as you sit at that gate and people pass by you, does, does anyone actually know your name? They might know what you look like, but they, do they actually know you and, and care about you and, and talk to you, engage with you? 
And then there's the comments. There's the stigma. Some people would say that there's a reason that you're like this. Maybe it's your own sin or your parents' sin. That's the cause of your disability. Some are going to treat you as a, as a cautionary tale, as a warning. But one of the cruelest realities for this man is that this is as close as he can go in to be in the temple with the people of God. He's kept on the outside at the gate. He's not allowed to go further past this with the people to go and offer prayers because of his disability. In some sense, he's considered an outcast and he's kept at a distance. He can see what's happening, but he's kept outside day after day. And so I wonder as I think about this man, how many times must he have prayed the words of Isaiah 35, these, these words that are talking about the, the rule of the Messiah, this, as the Messiah comes, this is what the world is going to be like. How often did he, did he see these words? Lord, please, would you let the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. I imagine on more than one day, he's set praying that this would be true. That he would be able to stand up and that he would leap as the Messiah comes on the scene. But as days drag on to years with the same struggle, have this man's expectations lowered? Have his shoulders dropped with the, the weight of his daily burden? And what about you? Have you been carrying a burden that's heavy for such a long time that, that your eyes have dropped, that your shoulders have slumped, that your, your hope is very small or your expectation is two sizes too small. As Peter and John are walking into the temple, Luke tells us that this man sees them and he, and he asks for alms, he asks for help. But here's the thing, they don't avoid his gaze. They don't duck their head and keep walking, but they stop and they look squarely in his eyes. They look at him. They care about him. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of ringing a bell at Christmas time, you know, raising money for the Salvation Army, uh, where you're outside, you know, you're not even saying anything. You're just ringing the bell, asking people to give money as a donation to charity. But you know what happens? Like Catherine and I did this over 10 years ago. We were outside ringing the bell at Sears uh, as people were coming by. Some people, if they wanted to engage with you, they would look at you, you know, they would talk with you. But many people, they would, they would divert their gaze from you. They wouldn't look at you because, yeah, I don't know if they felt guilty that they didn't want to give or for whatever reason, they wouldn't look at you as they walked by. And that was my experience for an hour and it was uncomfortable. I can't imagine what this man's experience is for his whole life to be like this. But Peter and John, they look at him. They look him straight in the eyes and they say, you know, we care about you. We, we love you. We know, we know that you need help. And they say, look at us. Lift your gaze. Look, not just us, but look to Christ. Lift your gaze to him. They want him to lift his head. They want him to meet their gaze to see clearly that they do care about him. And six different times in, in these verses, in these 10 verses, we see words used to describe seeing or looking or um, uh, recognizing who this person is. It's almost as if Luke wants us as the reader to turn our gaze to the right place as well, to see what's really going on 
and to fix our eyes on something that's really important. You see, I, I think that Luke wants us to see that the words of John and Peter are true. That Jesus really is the Messiah. That he really is raised from the dead. This healing is going to be proof that he really is ruling and reigning. And he wants us to see. And he wants us to look to that place. That we would have hope. That we would have trust that he is ruling. Not just in the future, but now. And that he's seated on the throne. Offering both salvation and life. And joy to those who come to look on him in faith. This is true for the man born lame, and this is true for us as well, brothers and sisters. You know, as I want you to think about 2020 for a second. And as I even mentioned 2020, like, do you you just cringe even thinking about this year? Right? It's got so much baggage tied to it already. You know, with all the things that are happening, have have you found it hard to focus your eyes on Jesus this year in 2020? You know, have you felt your eyes drop because of the regular burden that you're carrying and not yet freed of? You know, or maybe it's the weariness and and frustration or or fear that things are going to keep going this way for a long time. And so uh, you just, you, you just cringe. Or maybe your response is different than that. Maybe, maybe this season this year has helped you to see all of this other stuff is fleeting and failing, so I must cling to Christ. So I'm not cringing about the things that are happening, but I'm clinging desperately to Jesus. You see your need. You see he's our only hope, and you're, and you're holding on for dear life as he holds you firm in his grasp. I know that this season has been very difficult for many different valid reasons, but in the midst of the difficulty, I can promise you this, that long before you are asked to set your gaze on your faithful king, which is what we're called to do in this passage, long before we're called to do that, he has already set his gaze and his care and his compassion on you. He set his grace and his love on you. We see this in all, all sorts of places in the Bible, Ephesians 1 and many others. The Lord pursues you. He sees you in your weaknesses. He sees you when you're strong. He pursues you by his love. He holds you so that you can know the depths of his love that will never fail, brothers and sisters. And he's reigning now. This is what Luke wants us to remember. He is ruling now. He's ruling over COVID. He's ruling over our circumstances. And he is working um, in all of these places. He's not left us alone, but he's given his spirit to indwell us and empower us for such a time as this. So we have great opportunity as as his saints to both cling to Christ and to point others to Christ and to have our gaze fixed on what he might desire to do through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he wants us to look to him for strength and joy and healing in this time in particular. And so the, the text tells us this man fixes his gaze on Peter and John and, and he expects to receive something from them. And, and I, you just, I imagine like, what is it that he's expecting? You know, maybe, maybe they're gonna give him uh, enough money for, you know, maybe it's not a day, but it's, it's enough for, for a week. Or that, he, or that they're gonna maybe give him a, a meal or, or something else that's, that's really good. But he has no idea what the Lord is about to do in his life. You know, maybe they're gonna, they're gonna take care of him this way, but, He has no idea what the Lord has in store for him. 
And maybe, maybe this is where you find yourself today too. Like the lame man, you have small expectations of what God might want to do in your life. Would you say that your expectations are at least two sizes too small? And do you doubt? Do you doubt that you could be joyful? Or, or maybe do you just, do you have hope and like you're clinging to Christ in faith, but you just have hope in the future that one day it will be better, but, but you're not having hope for what God might desire to do in you now. That he can sustain you and encourage you and equip you and, and, and lead you now. In particular, to have great joy in the midst of your circumstances. Are you, are you just trying to be realistic? Because you've so often longed for transformation, only for it not to happen as in the way that you thought it would or in the timing that you thought might happen. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know and see that the healing of this man is a sign for us. That God sees you and loves you even when you cannot bear to lift your eyes to him. And God gives us far more than we were expecting or hoping for. This is a sign that Jesus has overcome the world to begin to right all of the wrongs that are in it. And brothers and sisters, we know. We know that his kingdom is coming in its future fulfillment. But it's already taking place now. He is ruling and reigning now in the hearts of us and all over his creation. He is reigning now. Not only is this true also that, that there's great joy and healing at the moment of salvation, but it's also true as we pursue Christ daily. Not just at salvation, but also as we are sanctified and transformed from one degree of glory to another as we trust in Christ. You see, this sign isn't also, it's not, it's not just for those that are suffering. It's also for those of you that think that you're, you're doing pretty well. You are clinging to Christ. You're trusting him. You're being obedient. You're being faithful. This is a sign for you as well and, and for me as well, if that, if that describes us. You see, there's an opportunity here for reflection too. You know, if you are, if you are uh, seeing and looking to Christ and you're being encouraged in joy in him, do you have joy or do you have eyes to see others who are hurting, who are spiritually paralyzed, that, that you could help them to look to Jesus in their time of need? You know, who can you pray for in your schools? Who needs a reminder of Christ's faithfulness at your work? And what friends would be strengthened by a reminder that Christ is working in them even when they are wrestling with anxiety or weakness? Maybe they're suffering with COVID. You know, who is it that needs to be encouraged by the truth of Christ that you know? And so there's opportunity for us to speak that word of truth to them, even if we're doing well, to see and have eyes to look for others so that we could uh, be light and, and um, encouraging to them. And so there's this idea as we're talking about this, like is our, our expectation, ex expectations or, or is our joy do we think that it's at its capacity, that it's small and it can't really get that much bigger? Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been surprised by joy before? Have you ever experienced a joy that was sweeter than you thought it was possible to be at that time? That it had a depth and a richness and a power that you weren't expecting and yet you experienced it? 
You know, where have you felt your heart grow a size or two by something that the Lord has done? You know, has, has the Lord ever shown you that what you thought was your maximum capacity for joy or love was in fact not even close to the limit of what you could hold? You know, as, as you think about this, maybe, maybe it's in a friendship. You know, God has brought a friend to you at, at a particular time where you thought you were doing well. And then as God brings that friend into your life and as you look back, you're like, I am so thankful for this friend. I'm so thankful for God bringing them to this place and the joy that increases because of this person that I didn't even realize I needed until he brought them into my place. Or maybe it's in marriage. You know, if you, if you like being married to the person that you're married to, you know, there's a lot of times when you get married that you think that this day, this wedding day is, is the most joyful that I could possibly be. But I'll tell you this. As you, as you walk with your spouse for many years, as you're seeking Christ together, that, that sweetness grows. That joy in, in one another increases. And if that's not been your experience, then I encourage you to pray that God would help that be true because it can be true. But it's not just that. It's even like in parenting. Uh, I don't know if you know me very well, but I have, a four, I have four children. And I can remember when, when my son Henry was born, just looking at him and thinking, I don't know how I could possibly love anyone more than I'm loving him right now. And like how I would have more capacity to do that. Like I thought that was it. And then God brought along Sarah Beth. And then he brought along Evelyn. And, and now he's brought along Lucy. <laughs> and as I hold her in my arms, like her, her joy radiates from her. As I look at her, I can't help but smile and laugh at the goodness of God in giving her to us. You see, my, my love wasn't divided like a pie, you know, that I had to divvy up for each of my kids and you get a little bit less and a little bit less. My love is multiplied. It grows because God does that work. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that our, that our joy doesn't need to divide as if we only have so much that we can give out. But God might desire to multiply it today as we look to him. See, what's different about that day for this man as he's sitting at the gate versus any other of the thousand of days that he sat there before. What's different? What's different for him and for us is that Christ is raised from the dead and that he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell the hearts of believers. No longer is, are we kept at a distance, but we are brought near by the, by the blood of, of Christ. You know, he draws us in by his salvation. We don't see him necessarily at a distance anymore. He actually indwells the hearts of believers through his spirit. This has changed, and it changes everything. Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus, the Messiah, has been crucified for our sins. He's been raised in power by God because the grave could not hold him. And he's been seated at the right hand of God in glory and power because he has, he has accomplished the salvation of all that the Old Testament was pointing to, including Isaiah 35. He has accomplished that prophecy. He has, he has brought it to be in the lives of those who follow him, including the man sitting at the gate. So Peter and John, they defy this man's expectation. You know, they say, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we give to you. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And though this man might not have had high hopes at the beginning of the day, the hope of Christ has come to him. 
And when Peter takes him by the hand, Luke tells us the man's feet and ankles were made strong. Miraculously, he's healed in an instant. He doesn't have to go to physical therapy. He doesn't have to learn how to walk like a child does, you know, slowly over time. No, he leaps to his feet from his position in tremendous joy and praise. He is a leaping joy. I love this response. God's healing is so complete that the man who's never stood before jumps like a deer. And in Christ Jesus, that prophecy of Isaiah 35 has been fulfilled. The lame leap like a deer. Oh, to see the joy on that man's face when Jesus healed him in this way. At that moment, everything changed for him. His life was utterly transformed and he was set free to dance and free to run, free to praise God in the temple. And this man's life mirrors the exhortation from Psalm 100, verses four through five, where we hear these words. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. This is exactly what this man does. He runs in and gives thanks and praise to God for what he's done. He runs into the temple. He is the personification of this verse. But I think this is also quite possibly what he was saying, the words on his lips. Verse five, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever for us too. And his faithfulness to all generations. This man goes in. He runs and he leaps into the Lord's courts with thanksgiving and praise. He is the picture of what that psalm is talking about. You know, it's not, it's not too often, especially as you, as you become an adult, that you leap for joy, is it? Maybe kids will do that, but as an adult, I mean, can you, can you remember the last time you've leapt for joy? You know, maybe it was a sporting event, but if you're a Tennessee fan, we know that's probably not the last one in football because that was over 20 years ago, right? So probably wasn't that one. But maybe it was something like that, or, or maybe you had joy in a friend and something that, that they were a part of, or joy as your children were participating in, in some kind of event. But, but what comes to mind as you think about leaping, jumping, praising? What comes to mind for me is Easter morning. You know, where, where with exuberant joy, with, with unspeakable joy, our youth and our adults alike, they, they come down and we raise our hands and we lift our voices to the, to the reality that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And you know, as Pastor Chris, his shirt starts to get untucked that it's about to go down. <laughs> and we're leaping and praising our God for who he is and what he has done. There is, there is exuberant leaping. But think about that morning. How much sweeter would your leaping be if you had never been able to stand up on your own two feet and now you could that day? You know, or say that's the day of your salvation. You were saved and you come forward, you know, and you leap and praise to the risen Christ. How much more joy might you have in that moment? How much more even than that as you recognize God's love and mercy and his transformative power? not just in one moment, but in all of the moments in which he's been doing that in your life, do we have the opportunity to praise and, 
and leap and, and thank the Lord. It's in his name that we are made well. And this is where we find ourselves today in the book of Acts. This has happened. The Lord has come and he's healed this man. But see, there's nothing that that man could have done on his own. He couldn't heal himself. He, he sat there every day. He could not, he could not save himself. But Christ Jesus came to that man through, through the preaching of, of Peter and John. You see, the, the kingdom has broken in through those who are faithfully preaching in his name. He was, he was outside, though. He's outside the gate. And he, and he couldn't enter. But glory be to God. Glory be to God that the one who is the true, beautiful gate the one who is the gate of the sheep, Jesus himself, has come to him. Jesus, that gate, comes to his own with healing and salvation and the way to God. We hear this in John 10 where Jesus describes himself this way. John 10, verse 7 and 9 through 10. He says, truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and find pasture. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Not minimally, not small, but a abundant life. He comes to give. Jesus is the door. He's the gate. He's this beautiful gate that comes to him this very morning and says, enter into my presence with great joy. You can come because of Christ. And that's true for you in this room this morning, brothers and sisters. Maybe you find yourself, you found yourself sitting at the edge of the gate because you don't know the Lord. And you can't save yourself. But I would encourage you that the Lord has come. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, and you will have life and salvation in his name, and you can enter through Christ. So come into his presence with joy and thanksgiving by that way. And you see, the man that entered the beautiful gate, he's no longer on the outside. <laughs> Neither are we. We're, we're brought near by his blood. You see, this, this man's healing, his physical healing, it's a picture of salvation. He's leaping at the physical healing that was offered, but how much more is this man going to leap when he learns of all of the promises of God for those who trust in him? You know, he's leaping because he's been healed physically. He might think that his joy is at its upper limit. This is, this is the maximum joy I can ever experience. But how much more comforted is he going to be when he hears that his sins have been forgiven by Christ? That he's been accepted and adopted into God's family as his son. And we are adopted as his sons and daughters. That he is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for him. And again, this is true for you if you are in Christ. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, but it's not just stuff. Our inheritance is him. He's seated on his throne, living now, interceding for us. And he is our great king. 
His kingdom has come and is breaking into the world. You see, the healing of this lame man shows that our spiritual healing comes in the name of Jesus. It's through Jesus that we are able to, to see spiritual truths with eyes that were previously blind. He's opened up our, our clogged ears so that we would hear the faithfulness and, and the mercy that, and that we would rejoice in his promises. He's strengthened the places where we were once weak and hurting and discouraged over. This man's healing points to the truthfulness of all of God's promises, every single one of them, both in this life and in the one to come. And that should lead us to joy in the present as we anticipate greater joys even to come. Whatever joy we are experiencing now, there are greater joys to come, including as we see our Savior face to face with sin utterly defeated in his, his presence worshiping forevermore. But I believe that it's also important to say of this healing in chapter 3, that it doesn't say that everyone will be healed physically in this life. And it, and it doesn't say that you just have uh, too little faith and that's the reason that you're not physically healed. It does not say that. There are no promises that all of our infirmities will be alleviated day by day. But we can remember that any of our weaknesses, whether they're physical or psychological, genetic, something we're born with, you know, whether they're emotional or, or any other way that we are made, they can be an occasion for praise as we trust the Lord and depend upon him even within those limitations. And I'll tell you this, you aren't lacking in any way that matters because you have Christ and he is in you and he's working through you. And in fact, the place where you lack might be the place where Christ is seen as most sufficient in you. You know, this, these places of greatest hurt and pain are also potentially the places of greatest joy as Christ transforms them and heals them. I think Paul understands this. I think he understands this because you're gonna hear what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, eight through 10, where he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that my thorn should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, okay, well, just give them all to me, basically. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the, for the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, it's right for us to pray for healing in these areas. But even if the Lord chooses not to heal as we ask, we can trust him because his grace is sufficient for us, both for the day and, and forever. And in our weakness, in our weaknesses, his strength is seen to be greater. And the, and the joy that we experience in the Lord even as we struggle, is a testimony to the world of the greatness of our Savior who is good. It's a, it's a testimony of his faithfulness and the kindness of, of, of Christ Jesus. And so we can, we can have great joy, tremendous, overflowing, exuberant joy as we see Christ working in us. 
as he transforms and heals these places spiritually, sometimes physically, we can have tremendous joy as God is working through his spirit, enabling and empowering us to serve him. But also, we can have great joy in Christ as he is working in others. So it's not just joy as he's working in us, but also joy as he's working in others. And this, we're going to see this from verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read it out loud for us. It says this. Leaping up, this man stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So Luke tells us that once this man goes into the temple area, leaping and praising God, that all of the people recognized who he was. They, they, they saw him. They, they knew it was this man that they had passed by and potentially given to for years. And he's in their midst leaping and praising God. There's no mistaking who this man is. And the length of his struggle only magnifies the awe and wonder from which those people were experiencing that day. From all who saw him, they were, they were amazed at what God was doing. They knew God had worked a miracle. They heard from his mouth that he had been healed in the name of Jesus through the ministry of Peter and John. And they were seeing that the evidence that the Messiah has come. They were seeing with their own eyes this lame man leaping like a deer and this pointing again to the Messiah coming and saving and healing. And Peter's going to use this as an example where he preaches in the very next passage. He's preaching a call to repentance and faith because they crucified the Messiah. But it says that many came to know Jesus as Lord through this healing and the preaching that followed. See, one of the beautiful pictures that we see in verses 9 through 10 is that the people respond with awe and wonder for what God did for the, for the other person, for someone not themselves. They've, they've seen his transformation and potentially his salvation with their own eyes, and it leads them to praise God. And so as you, think about, as you think about this idea in your own life, I want you to ask, do you, do you have eyes to see what God is doing, not just in your own life, but in the life of others? You know, are we, are we looking for that? And are we, are we celebrating that reality? Are we celebrating and, and encouraging one another and what God is doing and, and, and that leading us to praise and glorifying his name? And I also want us to think about in what ways does the maturity and the growth in holiness of our fellow church members, how does it promote wonder and awe in us as we, as we see them being transformed and strengthen and growing and, and encouraging and loving and serving and, and evangelizing and teaching and preaching and all of the things that, that happens, does that lead you to praise and awe and wonder at our God? See, I'm, I'm super thankful that we're taking communion today because I think communion provides a great opportunity for us to do the very thing that I'm talking about for us to praise God and have joy for the work that God is doing in others. Because, you know, as we are coming down the aisle and coming to take these elements of communion together, realize that every person that walks forward today has entered through the beautiful gate. 
Each person is an example of how much more God has done by offering spiritual healing. Each person is confessing that they belong to Jesus. You know, if you're at home, you know, I want, I want your joy as you, as you experience that from, from your, you know, from your television. I, I want you to recognize that we are united in Christ, even though we're not together personally. And, and your joy can radiate as we together participate. For we are united in Christ. What a miracle. Each person that walks down this aisle to come and take these elements is confessing that we've been brought from death to life. That we have been converted from sworn enemies of God to be adopted sons and daughters of him. That we've been freed from both physical and more important spiritual bondage. Christ has worked and transformed and healed us. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would pray to have eyes to see and that we would have eyes to recognize the movement of the Spirit in our midst. May joy burst forth as a testimony that God is still active in us and in others and in the world. He's still healing hurts. He's still empowering service. He's still protecting his sheep. You see, the the life-giving and creation-sustaining and sin-canceling and death-overcoming and Satan-defeating power of Jesus is still at work in our world and especially in the church, brothers and sisters. And this is a reason for us to rejoice loudly. So, as the once lame now leap, and as once God-haters now love him, all of our leaping and all of our praising, both in our lives and in celebration of what God's doing in the lives of others, they prove, it proves that Jesus is ruling and reigning now and forevermore. So may the joy of this reality fill our hearts as we continue to trust in him. And may God multiply and increase our joy as we cling to him in faith. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reality of the healing of this man. I thank you for his joy and it being a picture that we too can have eternal joy, lasting joy in you who heals us. Frankly, not just for a moment, but Lord, in salvation, you have, you have brought us from death to life to know you and love you and to be united with you forever. Lord, I'm so thankful that, that we as a church body are gathered together with countless church bodies around the globe, worshiping and praising your name as a testimony to your kingdom, both coming and working. Lord, you are ruling and reigning. So lead us to respond in faith and in joy as we come to take communion together. I love you and praise you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.